This is the Westbrook Community Church Sermon Series. Sunday, December 10, 2023. What a beautiful name, Mighty God. Kevin explores yet another name given to Jesus in the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Nate. Hey, welcome today. We're glad you're here. If you're uh, with us online, we'd like to welcome you as well and, and just uh, say that we're glad you're here. My name's Kevin Sharp. I, I'm the pastor here, and we're continuing our, our series uh, called What a Beautiful Name. And, and as we start, I'd just like to ask you, what's been the greatest storm in your life? I mean, what, what has been that thing that, that you point to and say, wow, that was a difficult situation I was in. I mean, there's a couple I could point to, but one uh, happened a, a long time ago, happened in the summer of 1992. And we got a, a phone call from my mom. And, and it, it was a phone message, and, and she was nervous and agitated. And, and she said, there's been an accident and Beth, my sister-in-law, has died. And we thought, oh my gosh, that, that, that's awful. And, uh, and we tried to call back down to Kansas City. That's where my family is from. And, and uh, we got, uh, didn't get a hold of them, and it was sketchy. And they just said, get down here as quick as you can. So we had small children at the time. We kind of farmed them off to Julie's side of the family. And we got uh, tickets airline tickets quickly, and we flew to Kansas City. And when we got there, my, my brother-in-law picked us up from the airport, and he told us, hey, this wasn't an accident. But he told us that, that Beth had committed suicide. And that was even more devastating than the initial news. And of course, it devastated my brother. But, but who we were particularly brokenhearted about was my brother's seven-year-old daughter who would now have to grow up without a mother. And I remember Julie and I talking about that and we were just saying, man, we have to pray for her. Well, we have to pray for her. We're a long distance away. and We can be somewhat involved in her life, but, but, but I think the best thing we can do is pray for her. So, so we made a commitment, and we started praying for her. And it seemed like the more we prayed, the worse her life got. And she uh, grew and uh, got into teenage years. There's a stepmom in her life that was more painful, difficult relationship. And she had the support of, of her father and, and my parents, her grandparents, and some other people, but we knew nothing would replace the absence of her mom. And it just seemed like things didn't go well those, those teenage years. But we kept praying for her and kept thinking about her and kept loving her. And she graduated from high school, went to college, got a degree, and, and then was out for a couple of years and then decided to go back and get her degree in counseling psychology. And she did that course and I remember vividly 
uh, her telling us uh, about her master level courses in counseling psychology. And she said to us, I just thought those classes would teach me how to be a counselor. But you know what they did? They actually helped me deal with the trauma in my own life. They actually helped me deal with the pain of growing up without a mother. And I remember just being so excited for her that she's working through that and getting healthier and growing. And now she has her own counseling practice. And guess what she does? She works primarily with kids who are dealing with trauma. And I thought, isn't that cool? That that in spite of the storm, in spite of the horrific situation, God's redeemed that. And now she's taken her pain and helping other people and helping other kids go through trauma. And as I thought of that storm and thought of all that's happened, I thought, man, God answered that prayer. And God answered it because he's a mighty God. He's a God that can take the brokenness and the difficulty and the pain and redeem it. You know, we're continuing our series called What a Beautiful Name, and we're taking that out of the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet that actually lived 700 years before the birth of Christ. But but in his book in the Old Testament, he predicts the coming of the Messiah. He predicts the coming of Jesus. And in chapter 9, 6 and 7, he says this. He says, for to us, a, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And I love this last phrase. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It'll happen. God will do it. And in this passage, Isaiah gives Jesus four names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we're taking one of those names each week leading up to Christmas Eve. And last week we we talked about Wonderful Counselor and If you missed that talk, go to our website and you can see the service or listen to a podcast. I'd encourage you to do that. And today we're talking about the second name, about a mighty God. That's who Isaiah calls Jesus. And this mighty God is who Jesus is in his fullness, in who he is. He's a mighty God. And wouldn't it be helpful for us that in the storms of life, in the difficulty, in the pain of whatever we're going through, wouldn't it be helpful to have a mighty God on our side? Wouldn't it be 
wonderful if we had a mighty God who we could put our trust in, our hope in, in the midst of life's storms, in the midst of life's difficulties? Well, the truth is we can do that. We can put our trust and our faith in Jesus. We can put our trust and our faith in the fact that he's a mighty God. And you say, well, how does that happen? How does that work? How can we put our hope and our trust in this mighty God? Well, our story today is taken out of Mark 4, and it's the story of Jesus calming the storm. And in the midst of this story, there's four questions that get asked. And as we deal with those four questions, as we answer those four questions in our own life, we can grow in putting our trust and our faith in Christ. But before we get to those four questions, let me tell you the story. Now, before... Jesus and disciples got into this boat. They were ministering to all kinds of people. They were teaching. They were healing. There was just crowds all over the place. And Jesus was doing his thing. And at the end of a number of days doing that, Jesus said, hey, guys, let's get out of here. And look what he says in verse 35. He says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. And you say, well, the other side of what? Well, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They were on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said, hey, let's get in a boat and let's go to the other side and get away from this crowd and have some time alone. And so that's what they did. Now, when you hear the Sea of Galilee, you think, wow, that must be a a big body of water. And if you think that, you'd be wrong, okay? It's not really a sea. It's a big lake, you know. It's 13 miles east to west and then 14 miles north to south. It's, it's kind of be the size of Lake Malax, roughly, okay? So it's a big lake, but it's just a lake, okay? And, and when you think of them getting in the boat, it's really interesting. Because this was, was a small boat for 13 people. Okay, here's a picture of, of a first century boat. And, and you can see it's long. We were there in 2022. And they found this after many years of drought over there. The, the, the lake kind of receded and they found this in the mud. And it was a first century boat. And they moved it to this museum. And you can see on the wall there, there's a, there's a drawing that kind of shows you how the sail would be and, and what it would be like. But anyway, Jesus and his disciples, 13 people, get into this boat and they start going to the other side. And in verse 37, it says that, that, that a huge storm came up and it was blowing and, and they were taken on water and the waves are really high. And it's interesting because it says Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat. And, and I've always wondered, man, he must have been a sound sleeper. I think he was just worn out from all the, that they were doing. But he was in the stern sleeping. And these disciples 
were struggling with the storm. And they, they were scared. And even some of the 12 were fishermen, so they had experience, and yet they were all scared. And they woke Jesus up. And this is what they said in verse 38. They said the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? And that's the first question in this passage. The, the disciple says, Teacher, don't you care? And really, all of us have storms. Sometimes storms come up suddenly on us, don't they? Like we think we're a good employee and we have a good situation in the job and then all of a sudden we find ourselves unemployed. Or maybe you're in a dating relationship and it's going well and then all of a sudden the other person wants out. And you're dumped and suddenly you're in a storm. And you don't know how to get out of it. I mean, some storms come suddenly. Some kind of build over time, don't they? I mean, maybe the storm in your life now is your parents' dementia. And you've been seeing it coming, and you've been seeing it get a little bit worse and a little bit worse until it becomes a, a full-blown storm. And you sense, wow, that, that came on quickly. Or maybe you have an adult child that's making bad decisions, and you can't seem to get through to them. Maybe it's just taking a toll you switching your kids with your ex. And it just is a grind every day to try to figure out the schedules and do that. Some storms just keep building over time. But we all go through storms. No one's immune from storms. All of us could get up here and tell storm stories. We all experience storms in our lives. And the question that we ask is the same as the disciples. But when those storms come, we say to God, God, what's the deal? Don't you care? Don't you love me? Why in the world would this be happening to me? We all ask those questions. They're the why question of why did this happen to me? I thought you were there. I thought you cared. I thought you loved me. We all at one point or another have asked this question. And it's amazing to me that the responses that some people have after they ask that question. I mean, some people I know have thrown up their hands and said, I, I don't want anything to do with a God that, that would put me through that. I don't want anything to do with faith if that's what it's all about. And, and they throw in the towel. But, but I've had other people say, this has been the worst experience of my life. But I've never felt closer to God. I've never sensed his presence in my life like I do now. And I feel so close to him. 
Even though the storm is painful, unpleasant, and difficult. And you got to say, well, what's the difference? Well, what's the difference between the people that, that turn their back on God when hard times come? And the people that embrace God when those hard times come? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons. But, but I think one of the main ones is what we do with the pain. You see, this isn't a new question. In fact, it's older even than the disciples in the New Testament. Because if you look through the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, there's Psalms where people are asking this question. They're saying, God, what are you doing? Why don't you pay attention? Why don't you hear me? Why don't you do something in this situation? And those psalms are called psalms of lament. They even have a name. And you see all through the psalms, people just being honest with God. People taking their complaints, taking their issues, and bringing them to God. Look at an example here, Psalm 44, 23 and 24. It says, awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? You know, we could even read that with a little whine in our voice. You know what I mean? Oh, wake up, God. Don't reject us. That's what the psalmist is saying. So this question is as old as the psalms. And I think what's true about the psalmist, what's true about the people that wrote those psalms, is that they came to God with their complaints. They came to God with their questions. They leaned into God in the midst of their storms. Because when we do that, God meets us there. God speaks to us. God puts his arm around us. God shows up when we take our complaints, when we take our confusion, when we take our pain to him. You see, when we go to God with this question, God, don't you care? God answers. God shows up. You you sense his presence. He might not take away the trial. He might not take away the storm. But he shows up in the midst of it. I'm convinced that the people who grow in their faith in storms, opposed to the people that don't, are the people that take their complaints, their questions, their issues, their pain to God. They they lean into it. And what they discover in the midst of this is that he's a mighty God. He's a God that that can be trusted. He's a God that's with us in the difficulty, in the pain, in the confusion. And he's a God that can be trusted because he's a mighty God. 
Will you do that? In the midst of whatever storm you're going through right now, will you take your pain to him? Will you take your questions, your confusion to him? Because as you do that, he'll show up and he'll speak and you'll be able to put your trust in him. So that's the first question in the passage. And when the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we're drowning here? Jesus stands up in the story, gets off his mat, and he speaks to the storm. And he tells it to be still. And immediately, the storm stops. Immediately, the waters are calm. The wind dies down. There's no more storm. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and he asks the second question. And he says, why are you so afraid? Now, if you think about this, that's kind of an obvious answer, isn't it? Why are you so afraid? Well, I thought I was going to die. I thought we were going to die in this storm. Death has a way of creating fear in us, doesn't it? But I don't think Jesus was asking that to get an obvious response like that. He was asking that so the disciples would reflect on what they feared. Why were they so upset? Why were they so out of control with fear? What was it in their life that they feared the most? You see, because what we fear is really the thing that we believe will make or break our life. Well, what we fear is the thing that, that, that we think is the most critical thing that we need in our life to make our life okay. And what is that for you? What is that thing that you say, man, if I don't have that, life's not even worth living. What is that thing? I mean, maybe it's a loss of control and you just need control over yourselves, over your environment. Maybe it's a loss of money. Maybe you think, gosh, if I don't have money to do these things, if I've lost money, I'm out of control. I, I fear that the most. Maybe it's your reputation. You think, man, if I lose that, I, I don't know what I'll do. Maybe it's safety or comfort. And you say, man, if I don't have that, life's not worth living. What is that for you? Maybe it's your looks, your legacy. your position, your status, how people view you. What is that thing that, that you fear the most? Because when we identify that, we can see how our behaviors, how our emotions go to making sure that fear doesn't happen in our lives. I believe so, so much of the sin in our life isn't 
because of just overtly evil desires. But it's just navigating that fearful thing in our life and making sure that dreaded thing doesn't happen. And Jesus asks us, what do you fear? What are you afraid of? And when we identify that, we can start to work to eliminate that in our lives. It's interesting, at the end of this story, in verse 41, this is what it says. It says, they were terrified. Okay, now well, what were the disciples terrified of then? Jesus had calmed the storm. Well, what they were terrified was of Jesus. They thought, who is this guy? And they were terrified of Jesus. And you ask yourself, well, should we be afraid of Jesus? And in one sense, yeah, we should be. He's God Almighty. He's the mighty God. He's the one who really determines our fate. He's the one that if we get on the wrong side of him, nothing can save us. He's the one that determines where we go. And we shouldn't fear him that we don't even want to be around him or, or we're scared of him or we're, we're uh, avoiding him. But we should have a healthy sense of fear and awe for who he is and what he represents. The disciples sure did. And, and we should too because of his position. Because no matter what else we're afraid of, it's him that really determines our fate and our life. Because again, if we get on the wrong side of him, there's nothing that can save us. So we need to have a healthy sense of fear and reverence, but that also should help us relax around the other fears of our life. Because if we're right with God, if we're right with with Jesus, with this mighty God, then then we can relax because nothing else is going to bother us. See, the storms in life are scared of Jesus, not not the other way around. He controls them. That's who he is. He is in charge. It's just like a little boy who's a younger grade school boy and he goes to a new school and he quickly learns at recess who the bullies are. And he quickly learns that that his job at recess is just to avoid the bullies. And he does that as much as possible, but a couple times it hadn't been possible, he encountered them. And he knows that every day he just wants to avoid those kids. Until one day he's out on the playground and the biggest kid in the whole school starts to approach him. And his fear just goes through the roof. 
He goes, what's this kid going to do with me? He's the biggest kid on the playground. And that kid comes up to him and says, hey, just relax. I'm not going to do anything bad to you. I, I, I just want to be your friend. Let's come and why don't you play with me? And so they start to play with each other. They build a relationship. And pretty soon that little boy isn't that worried about the other bullies on the playground. Why is that? Because he's in relationship. He's a friendship with the biggest kid on the playground. And that's the same way with Jesus. If we know Jesus, if we have a reverence for him, if we walk with him, those other fears in our life take on new meaning. They're not so scary anymore. They're not so fearful. Why? Because we have the biggest kid on the playground next to us. And if we can answer that question, what is it that I fear? And realize that that Jesus is bigger than our fears. He's the mighty God. I don't need to worry about those fears because I'm safe and I'm secure in my relationship with him. Then we begin to trust and put our hope and our faith in him. That's who he is. And that's the second question he asked. The third question he asked right after he asked the second one, why are you so afraid? Is, do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? He said, you're scared about a storm. I'm in control of that storm. You still have no faith. And faith isn't just believing something, but it's believing something so much you're willing to act on it. You're willing to put your trust in it. It's one thing to say, I believe that a plane can safely fly me at 30,000 feet in the air. But you don't have faith in that until you get on the plane, until you put your trust in that. And Jesus is saying, don't you have any faith in me? It's not about believing in Jesus. It's about believing it so much that you're willing to put your trust and your faith in that, in him. And as we do that, we grow in trusting him. You know, I I think we all, Realize that faith is grown and developed in the storms of life. Our faith is like a muscle, and we got to exercise it. And that faith is exercised in the storms of life, in the suffering, in the pain, in the confusion. Our faith is built up and strengthened. In those storms. And if you know anyone who has a deep and abiding faith in Christ that you just admire because of the depth of their relationship, you can bet that that person also has many storm stories. 
many things have happened in their life to get their faith where it is. I think we all have two competing beliefs in our head. Two competing aspirations. One is that that we want to be people of deep faith. We want to be people that, that have a significant faith. And we also want to be people that avoid suffering at all costs. And the problem with, with those two competing ideas is that it's not possible. If we want to have a deep abiding faith, it's going to involve some storms in our life. It's going to involve some areas that are painful, that are hurtful, that involve suffering. But in the midst of that suffering, the mighty God develops an enduring faith in our life. A a deep well of significance. And and I want that in my life. And, And so storms are necessary to develop that. So Jesus says, where's your faith? Because I'll develop that in the storms. And the last question in this story is a question the disciples asked in the very last verse. And I mentioned that it says they were terrified, but the rest of the verse says this. It says they were terrified and asked each other, who is is this even the wind and the waves obey him? They ask the question, who is this guy? And it's the most important question that we'll ever ask ourselves. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? Who is he in my life? Because the answer is he's God Almighty, the maker of the heavens and earth. He was there at the beginning of creation. He helped with creation. You know, the truth is storms are scared of him. And storms listen to him because they've heard his voice before. They've heard his voice before. They know him. I love this verse. It's in Psalm 107, 2830. It says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. You see, Jesus just isn't a miracle worker. He's the one who created heaven and earth. He's the power behind all power. He's the power that gave everybody else their power. That's who he is. He's a mighty God. He's not just a miracle worker. He's a man. And nothing is just too easy or too difficult for him? He just can. 
He just does it. That's who he is. So when you say, who is he? You got to answer, he's a mighty God. He's the mighty God. He's the one behind everything. He created the universe. He sustains the universe. And as you ask that question, it's the most important question you'll ever find. And as you answer, who is he? And you say, he's God. He's mighty God. and, And he wants to come into my life and change me and grow me and develop me. As we do that, as we acknowledge that, we build our trust in him. We grow, we develop. That's who he is. And so I'd encourage you, if you've never taken that step to answer definitively who he is, take that step. And if you have, examine your fears and realize that this mighty God is bigger than any storm, bigger than any issue, bigger than anything you're dealing with in your life right now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you're the mighty God, that you're over everything, that you're above everything, and that as we answer, who is he? We'll know your love, your grace, your forgiveness. And we'll know that that you'll walk with us through any storm, through any catastrophe, and, and you'll redeem it for your glory and for our good. And we thank you for that and pray this in Jesus' name.